Every 30 seconds, Gabriella Lewis publishes a story. Now she's here to talk to us about it. Locked on women's basketball starts now. Ogumba Wallet for the win. You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to Locked on Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Magdal, thanking you for making us your first listen every day, Monday through Friday, everything women's basketball, past, present, future, Saturday, the WNBA Draft Show. No different, although just be prepared. We're going to have a lot of podcasts all weekend. The Final Four is here, and a group, eight strong, is coming to go do that coverage. So make sure you subscribe here on YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts, and support all of us doing this work at The Next, thenexthoops.com, where we have your coverage, over 100 reported pieces every month. And in March alone, I, I, I don't think this is inaccurate, over 100 reported pieces by Gabriella Lewis, who has covered the SEC for us. She covers the Atlanta Dream for us. She was in Greenville this weekend covering the regional. So, Gabriella, I, let's start. Is there a team you haven't written about this year? I got to admit, there are a couple, but these past couple weeks, it hasn't felt like that. Um, been a lot of SEC basketball recently. I, I calculated, I spent nine full days in Greenville just in the month of March. So um, we're well acquainted uh, between SEC tournament as well as March Madness regionals. So um, it's been a thrill and it's we've seen a lot of good basketball. We have a lot to talk about with you for sure out of that reporting. And in segment one, it's going to be very SEC based. And we're going to talk about the four of the Sweet 16. Ah, you had a story about it. What a shock. And then segment two, we're going to get into a little bit. As I understand, there is a decent turnout of SEC teams in the final four and look ahead to those as well. But I want to start with your work on the SEC in the Sweet 16. And I'm just going to Read this paragraph and we'll let you respond to your own words. And with four teams on their own respective hot streaks, it begs the question, was the SEC underrated for the vast majority of the year? AP ranked just two SEC teams, South Carolina and LSU. Despite tough wins, good records and hard fought seasons, the SEC was mostly absent from the national rankings. So was the SEC underrated? Talk to me. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've, I've got a front row seat, so I know it best, but I'm driving home from Greenville last night and I thought to myself, I will never forget. I will never forgive the world for not ranking Ole Miss. I mean, that was a team that was not ranked the entire year. Um, almost beat South Carolina. Only two teams to only beat South Carolina. Almost beat South Carolina. No teams to actually do it. Um, and, and Ole Miss was one of them. Went to the Sweet 16 after upsetting Stanford. Um I think the SC was definitely underrated, right? You know, you, you had LSU and you had South Carolina in the rankings, uh, you know, top five for, for the most part for, for the whole the whole season. Tennessee fell out of the rankings, but by the end they were winning a lot of games. They were looking really good. I've already uh, done my own spiel. Um, so there there was, I think, plenty of really good basketball and in, in the SEC. And, and I think March Madison has only been vindicating of that. Um, and, you know, 
I'm not the only one who's saying it. Uh, I would say basically every single SEC coach is saying it. Um, you know, Don Staley last night was was saying it. Kim Mulkey really went off about it and how, um, you know, she, she called South Carolina winning the championship. Um, coach Yo of Mississippi has been talking about it. So, yeah, I, I think that the SEC was definitely underrated, and this past couple of weeks have really only been a, a nail in the coffin in that. You expect me to believe Kim Mulkey went off about something? That's hard to believe. I mean, believe it or not, she uh, she's got some things to say, and uh, she'll say them. So understated much of the time. So you know, if she's saying it, it's a big thing. But no, I, I mean, you talked about Coach Yo too, and for me, watching her from day one, watching the way she has built this Mississippi program up to the present time, I think the big win helps moving forward in terms of the national understanding of what's being built there. Do you think that there is the capacity to build the Mississippi program to, let's say, the levels that Vic Schaefer reached, for instance, at Mississippi State? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Coach Yo knows how to recruit like no one else, right? I just did this this long piece about Madison Scott, who um, I, I one of my favorite pieces you know, Madison Scott was a McDonald's All-American. She was top 15 in her class. She played her AAU ball with Angel Reese. Mm-hmm. Um, she she was ranked, like I said, top 15. And she comes to all, she comes to Mississippi when they have won zero games in SEC play. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't make any sense to me, right? Every person who I told the story to was like, why? And, you know, she, I asked her why. And she said, Coach Yo, and I wanted to be different. I wanted to make something. And, you know, I think her story is really interesting in that of she she – has made something right. And and they had a tough loss there in the sweet 16, but you upset number one Stanford and, and that puts you on the map. And I think, you know, I'm obviously on the sec Twitter more than anyone, but everyone on Twitter has been talking about coach. Yo, has been talking about Mississippi. And the thing about coach, Yo, she recruits really well, like I said, and she recruits out of the transfer portal really well. Right. She gets angel Baker out of a mid major um, angel Baker lit it up. SEC all first, first, all SEC first team, Maya Taylor, who, you know, maybe not on the floor is as a, um, productive or you know statistically but she was everything for that team really good point guard and you know she comes from mississippi state in her her covid year to mississippi to to play and so i think coach joe um she's already been a good recruiter but now she's a good recruiter and she's got some name recognition and i think that is really mad her story and you know that that mississippi team is hard not to love what it reminds me of and the reason i brought up mississippi state was Vic Schaefer coming to a place that did not have, um, mm-hmm. certainly not a recent, and really in a lot of ways, not any kind of basketball tradition. And then he got Victoria Vivian. She got the top mm-hmm. 100 Mississippi recruit to stay home and play for him. And then they grew. And that win over UConn, Vic was getting anybody he wanted mm-hmm. over that next three or four years. So it feels very much like a watershed moment in that same way. You know, to your point about Coach Joe, though, she had a tweet and it's one that stayed with me too, talking about the fact that people talk about my personality, but they don't necessarily talk Mm -hmm. about how great I am as a coach. Do you see that? Do you, do you think that is the case? You're more plugged into this uh, scene even than I am. You know, what did you make of that? And did that hit you the same way it hit me? Yeah, I saw that tweet too, and I thought it was really interesting. And and you know, she was responding to Don Staley saying she's a really good coach. Um, right. And yeah, I mean, I think particularly in the last couple of weeks, Coach Yo and Mississippi has gotten a ton of um, 
media attention because of how fun she is, because she's potentially the best quote in basketball, right? You know, she, she says some fun stuff. Um, but I do think she definitely doesn't get the attention that, that is needed um, on, on her X's and O's, on her recruiting. But, you know, I think that's what makes Coach Yo a good coach is that she buys into, she has bought into this system and she's gotten players to buy into her system so well. And, you know, everyone's talking these days about the X's and O's coaches versus the recruiting yeah. coaches. And, you know, I think she's one of the best recruiters in the game. She's obviously been able to really convince people of something. And, you know, she always talks about belief, right? It's all about belief for that team. Um, and, you know, I think on, on the court also, she has made this formidable defense at, at Mississippi. And um, one that is, I mean, that Stanford game was one of my favorite games I've ever watched in my life, just because I love defensive basketball, right? I mean, it was so exciting to watch that. So yeah, I think she's a fantastic coach. Um, and, and just what's so interesting about the college game is, you know, half of half of it is your personnel and half of it is your, you know, having to recruit. And then it's the X's and O's, right? It's a different job in a lot of ways from, from the professional world. And that's something that I've um, recently been thinking about a lot. No doubt about it. And again, it even goes back to you talked about the defensive battles, but uh, I'm delighted that you have the SEC unless you have Mississippi, you got Georgia and you have uh, what's that team? Uh, South Carolina has a fairly decent defense, too, uh, as far as I remember. So it is fascinating. I, I do want to talk about a thing that I know is a shared obsession of ours. And I don't mean Oakland A's baseball. I'm referring Mm -hmm. very specifically to Tennessee and the fact that I, again, I keep coming back to this half full, half empty way, the way so many people feel about Tennessee. The fact that Tennessee came back here and had back-to-back sweet 16s here in back-to-back seasons. And it is almost universally, it feels like considered a disappointment. Mm -hmm. Is is that reasonable? Is that fair? How do you evaluate Tennessee with the full understanding, right, that there's never the Pat Summit era coming back for all sorts of reasons? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting legacy that Tennessee is con- like just constantly having to grapple with, right? You know that they. Um, I, I don't. I think what happened this year is, shouldn't be a disappointment, honestly, right? I think that they were overrated when they came into the season. Um, you know, I remember at SC Media Day thinking, "Why is Tennessee ranked over LSU? LSU is going to be far better than that Tennessee team." And um, that's what happened. And um, you know, they lost a lot of games, but then they looked like a really good team at some point. And I think they lose to Virginia Tech in uh, the Sweet Sixteen. It's a challenging, that's a challenging matchup, right? I mean, um, and they were the underdogs, they yeah. were the four, you know, yeah. they were supposed to lose that game, right? And I mean, what like Virginia Tech hasn't lost since January or something, yeah, January 15th. I predicted that they were going to lose that game just because I was like, I I think that they may be a you just it's tough to beat a team on a hot streak like that with with the yeah. personnel that Tech has, um, but so I I don't think it should be a massive disappointment, particularly considering the way that they grew over the season. Um, you know, I I saw them come back from a 17 point deficit at the SEC tournament to beat LSU, you know, in in person, and you know I think that win the confidence they had, you know, if if they and then they beat their first in the first two rounds of the tournament and the NCAA tournament, they won by 45 points. So my thought is that, you know, if they had lost to a worse team than tech, I think you could have said, yeah, that's, that's a disappointing season, but I think 
it would be very challenging to beat Tech right now. Um, basically, any team except maybe South Carolina. Um, and also, just to mention about Tennessee, they're returning a lot of their players. Tamari Key, who sat out this season, is coming back. Rakia Jackson is sitting out. Or who, Rakia Jackson is taking her COVID year coming back. However, Jordan Horston has literally, as of a couple hours ago, just decided that she is going to enter the WNBA draft, which to the WNBA fans is, is much rejoicing. To the Lady Vols fans, less rejoicing. Um, but I still think they're returning a core part of their of their system. Jordan, I'm sure, also did her due diligence and understands that the first half of the first round will not conclude without her name being called. And there is a significant party to doing that, especially when you look in 2024 and the draft that's coming. So I, I, that made all the sense in the world. But clearly, clearly, right up to the last part of this game, folks had bought in to what Kelly Harper was doing, which is not mm -hmm. the case, frankly, in the Holly Wallach era. So I, I remain bullish on Tennessee. I think they might make a Final Four run next year. It can be real interesting yeah. to see based on who they bring in. Want to yeah. talk about the team still alive, but first we are going to talk about Ultimate Pro Basketball GM. Ultimate Pro Basketball GM gives you the opportunity to do everything an NBA general manager does. The NBA is the little brother lead, for those who may not know, of the WNBA. So if you've ever had the thought and fantasized about managing your own basketball franchise, even in the little brother League. Go ahead and download Ultimate Pro Basketball GM right now. The game allows you to manage every strategic aspect of a franchise, playing through seasons and leading your franchise and fans to glory as you build a historic dynasty. In the simulation, you're responsible for dealing with personalities of players and coaches, hiring the right coaches and assistants, trading and training players, making draft picks and navigating your franchise through free agency and all the ups and downs of multiple seasons. Locked on women's basketball listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise when using the promo code locked on in the Dame store. So be sure to check it out. To download the Dame, just visit probasketballgm.com and scan the code or look it up in the app stores. That's probasketballgm.com. Ultimate Basketball GM. Start your dynasty today. And how, how great, by the way, at no point in that game do you need to figure out how to play your playoff game at a different venue because you're being forced out of it. How delightful. How delightful. Must be nice. So let's talk about South Carolina. I, I keep forgetting. I keep forgetting. They don't get a lot of attention. You know, they're kind of an afterthought in the national scene. But let's the Gamecocks, right? And I hear that they are – the favorite to win it all. I, I joke. I, Michelle Smith and I were talking about this yesterday, but just the fact that, you know, just trying to conceive how a team beats South Carolina who has, and you can check me on this fact, 37 players, eight feet tall or higher, right? Is that true? That true. I mean, their front line, I shouldn't even exaggerate it because their fifth best big is the best big on 98% of the teams in the country. And they have somehow five of them. So just take me through just starting there. Let's put South Carolina in context. You know, Debbie Antonelli was talking about it last night on the broadcast that we've never seen a team in this sport put up defensive numbers like this. I mean, do you think that the, does your eye test match that that we're seeing on the numbers? Yes. I mean, well, also you've, you're giving a good preview for a story that's coming out of mine this week about who, like in context, how good is this team? Um, they're very good. I'll, I'll tell you that. I, I think defensively, you know, that UCLA game, they, they barely uh, scored the ball, but 
that's fine. They've got great defensive numbers. Who cares? Um, and so I think, and that's also indicative of a larger SEC trend. Um, basically, a lot of teams in the past couple days or a couple weeks have not been able to score the ball and have a great defensive. But um, they're they're incredible. They've got the size. Um, they've got the discipline. They've got the depth. And the depth, I think, is, is the biggest part of that, right? Um, right. Li- like you're talking about, you just have this incredible amount of players. And they also just can adjust so well. I think that's the most incredible part about South Carolina. You know, I've I've watched many games in South Carolina in that first half where I go, oh, my God, is this the day they're going to lose? And mm-hmm. then they come out in the second half and I'm – I have to write on Twitter. Oops, shouldn't have said that. Sorry, folks. You know, that that's someone on Twitter, Corey Diaz, who, who covers LSU yesterday, said we should call them the boa constrictors because they just wear down their opponents so well. And that's because of their depth, because of their size. And also just, like I said, they're an extremely well-coached team by Staley. And what really makes me upset sometimes when folks talk about um, South Carolina is just they talk about how big they are and that's all. They're right. so much more than that. They are an extremely high IQ basketball team. And um, of course they've got the size. I mean, to bring six, seven Camila Cardoso off the bench is almost unfair, um, yeah. but they also are just very high IQ and um, it's, it's a very impressive team to watch. The thing about the bigs, and, and I talked a little bit about this the other day on Twitter, but it isn't just that Aaliyah Boston is 6'5", for instance. It's the fact that she's never in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. And you see that up and down the roster. The the execution on the defensive end is as much, if not more, a part of the story than the size itself. You, you, you see it with Beal. You see it with Cook. You see it throughout. You see it, quite frankly, with Raven Johnson, mm-hmm. who is – this incredible luxury item. I mean, what is she? She's the 11th person essentially in the rotation. And somehow, you know, that is also the second overall recruit coming out of her class. And somebody who's able to come off the bench and play so effectively at point guard. It, it boggles the mind. And, and it is just these players who are capable and then maximizing what they're able to do. Cardozo is a wonderful player at South Carolina, would be anywhere, was very good at Syracuse. She's at a different level in terms of her movements. I saw her live back when she was at Syracuse, and there was not that efficiency, that economy of movement that you see out of her right now. So it, it is it is this meeting of time and place and people and ideas, I think, that make them as great as they are. It also... When it is a team that doesn't always score the basketball all that well, it makes you wonder, on the right day, are you vulnerable? Were they vulnerable Monday night if if Diamond Miller and uh, Cheyenne Sellers aren't getting in foul trouble and are able Mm -hmm. to score the basketball? If Diamond Miller didn't take a half to adjust to the speed of that game, what happens in that scenario? They, the way Michelle put it yesterday was they're beatable, but I don't see them getting beaten. I think that's about where I am on it. Is that how you see it? Yeah, it is. And I think it's what, you know, a lot of other coaches have said as well. Um, and if, if, you know, no one's scoring or if quote, no one is scoring, you just bring on your next crew and they're probably going to score. Um, so that's the thing is when you have, you know, 10 deep players who can, who can shoot, who can get the basketball in the hoop, it's really tough to have a night where no one is doing that. And they do have those nights sometimes, but it also doesn't really matter when you play as good a defense as they do. So um, I think 
any team is beatable, particularly in March. Um, mm-hmm. But it will be extremely challenging to see this team get beaten. Um, and again, crazier things have happened. But I think they just have the discipline and and they also are just able to kind of, you know, bring themselves together mentally. And also remember, these these players have been playing together for so long. This like Freshies class, which is their senior class, um, you know, are extremely tight knit and have played a lot of games together, a lot of minutes. And and I think that's something non-quantifiable that is really, really impressive on the court. Um, so I, I think it's going to be very challenging to see someone take, take their honor, but who knows? I have heard good things about Iowa too. So yes. <laughs> that is, Oh, I, you know, I, but Iowa almost lost to Georgia. I mean, I think we're forgetting about that. If Georgia hadn't had three back-to-back turnovers in the last minute of the game, um, you know, a very good defensive team in Georgia who shot the ball well that night, they they gave Iowa a run for their money. So that I'm I think I'm I'm a I'm an SEC truther. I I'm just bringing that up. <laughs> I, I still you know I I don't know if you agree with this, but I think the SEC is underrated. I think I'm I I don't know maybe. I think so. Wait, so we got to talk about LSU, and I want to do that. Before we do, going to let the good folks at home know about FanDuel. The tournaments are heating up, and there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. That's because right now, FanDuel is giving new customers a no-sweat first bet of up to $1,000. $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and sign up today to claim your no-sweat-first bet. Unlike a lot of sports books, by the way, it's not just the men's tournament. The women's tournament is there, too. You can wager on everything from the money line to point spreads to which team will be cutting down the nets. All on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So don't miss your shot at a no-sweat-first bet of up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to sign up. Make every moment more with FanDuel. And so I think if people had been betting what year Kim Mulkey would get her LSU team back to the Final Four, I don't know that a lot of people would have picked year two. But is that just a function of what she does? Is that a function of being able to build teams faster now because of the transfer portal? How do you view that within the context of what she's done in two years? I think it's a function of a lot of things. First of all, you get Angel Reese out of the transfer portal and she's a program maker, right? You know, she is putting up some of those insane numbers I think I've ever seen. You know, the other day she has, you know, when she ever has more rebounds than points, I, I lose my mind. Um, <laughs> and she always goes, I had a bad night tonight. I go, you have 18 rebounds. Um, but I digress. Um, so I, I think the transfer portal, you get someone like Angel Reese, you're going to play well. Um, I will say that... Um, you know, they had maybe a little bit easier of a schedule, even in the tournament to get here. I'm not mm-hmm. discrediting them. They still got to a final four. And, you know, you can say a lot of things about Kim Mulkey, but I think she is a good coach um, on at least on the X's and O's. I mean, she knows how to build up her team. She knows her players seem to really believe in her. Um, and and she has built this program very quickly. So I think it's it's a it's a sign of the times. It's a sign of Mulkey. And it's also a sign of Angel Reese. I mean, I, you can't do that without them. But I, I really do think it's interesting. It begs the question, you know, the only thing people talked about about LSU this year, other than Angel Reese maybe, is that they had this horrible non-conference schedule, which objectively right. they did. And it's just funny to me now that they're in the final four, like, you know, and Tennessee had the most challenging non-conference schedule, had the most challenging non-conference schedule, basically of anyone in the country except UConn and Tennessee's not here. So 
to me, they're the juxtaposition of those two. It almost feels like Kim Malty might know what she's doing. Uh, almost. It seems like it's, it is funny to me just in general in this space where the people who succeed again and again are just like questioned is like, well, probably not this time. It's like, mm, I'm pretty sure, you know, uh, Brenda Fries, who got all the way to the Elite Eight last spring, it was like the end of the Maryland program. It's very yeah. funny. Like, yeah. not so much. Had they played any other one seed, I wonder whether that team would still be playing right now. So it's very interesting. Yes. I, I am very much urging all of you, if you are just listening instead of watching, at underscore Gabriella with two L's Lewis. Make sure you are following her on Twitter. She does incredible work. She is an entertaining follow. And one of these days we're going to get not underscore Gabriella Lewis to give that up. But for now, underscore Gabriella Lewis on Twitter with two L's. I am always grateful for the chance to chat with you. I am uh, congratulations on an incredible season covering college basketball. Uh, before I let you go, want to let the people at, know, uh, at home know, we want to thank you all for making Lockdown Women's Basketball your first listen today. You're going to see a lot of things, right, on Sunday night on Twitter. A lot of people who are kind of blind to it where they say, oh, basketball season is over. No, no more basketball. What do I do without basketball? But guess what, folks? The men play. It's true. And so during the time between the end of the national championship around 6 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday and the WNBA opener on May 19th, there's this whole lead you could follow called the NBA. And if you go over to game to game NBA, every moment, every performance and every result is covered by the locked on local analysis that only our network can deliver. So Follow Dame to Dame on Locked On NBA. It's available on Odyssey, YouTube, or wherever you get podcasts. Yeah, don't be one of those people. Aren't they the worst, Gabriella, right? Where it's like a season ends and you're like, oh, no more basketball. And you ignore that there are these incredible leagues. Don't you just hate those people? Because I do. Yes, yes, I do. And Yes, yes. Well, thank you for having me on. And just to, to one more plug for my Twitter, if you yes. want to see what Leah Boston said when I asked her, is this your last game in South Carolina? She gave me she gave me a little bit of an answer, nonverbal, but uh, check it out. Go check it out. It wasn't. Yes, it is. Mm, spicy out of Greenville. Gabrielle yes. Lewis, you are the best. I'm Howard Meddahl, thanking you all for listening. We'll be back with you tomorrow. So much on location. I think Natalie Heverin's going to go talk to the WBL crew in Dallas. We're going to be there. We're going to be in force. You Subscribe, because you never know when we're going to post a short, uh, a full-on show, emergency podcast. Be part of it. it this is 24-7-365. That's what we do at thenexttubes.com. It's what we do at Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm Howard Magdal, wishing you all a wonderful day. Ogumba Wallet for the win. You are Locked On Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. 